Vince told me I look like I'm ready to go rob a, jewel, a jewelry store. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. All right, so verse 17. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. Um, now this verse starts off, it's a practical outworking of, of the verse, of verse 1 in chapter 4, which talks about um, um, now that we are saved, we are to walk in the calling uh, that God has called us in. So it's a practical outworking of this, and, and he's drawing the logical conclusions of the life of the body of believers in Christ Jesus. Now the way he's calling us to live is for believers. Um, non-believers are not expected to live like this. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight. But this is a call for believers to live this way. Non-believers, like I said, are not expected to live this way. Um, um, so this is after we, after we got saved. So um, you should no longer walk. Walk means live as the Gentiles walk. And Gentiles is referring to those who are ungodly and unregenerate. Like I said, um, the people who are not saved. We are not, no longer to walk as they walked um, in the futility of their minds. And First Thessalonians talks about um, um, Gentiles who don't know God. Um, and Gentiles were, 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 is, a, is a term for non-believers, people who don't know who Jesus is. Um, and that we are no longer to walk like they walked. So that's what he means when he's talking about Gentiles, basically non-believers. In the futility of their minds, he says. I'm going to be def- defining a lot of words tonight, so I hope, that, I hope that's okay. But futility means emptiness, vain, void of substance. And this is uh, spiritually and, and, and morally, um, a life of purposelessness. It's in vain, a vain effort to make sense of life apart from God. So that's what he's talking about, them walking in the futility of their mind. If you remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon starts off saying that everything is, is futile, is vain. And it's the same, the same word, the same thing. It's, it's, it's pointless, uh, vain, empty. So he said, Gentiles walk in the emptiness the vanity of their minds. And we as believers are no longer to walk like that anymore. Okay, Romans chapter 1. He says, For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense. Another version says futile. Became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. So this is, again, referring to non-believers. So they walk in the emptiness, the vanity of their minds. They tried to live life apart from God, and that's futile. And so they walk in the futile of their minds, and he says, we are no longer to do that anymore as believers. There are four characteristics of an ungodly lifestyle, starting in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. First of all, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, and that word means covered. It's a, metaf- it's a metaphorically speaking of the mind. It's talking about their reasoning capabilities. Their mind functions in the dark. Non-believers' minds function in the dark. 
they're trying to assemble life's puzzle in the dark. You ever seen a jigsaw puzzle? If you try to put it together in the dark, it's futile, it's pointless, because you can't see what you're doing. And that's how non-believers live in their thinking. It's darkened. And basically, the term we would use today is they just don't get it. They just don't get it because their mind is darkened, it's covered. They're trying to assemble life's puzzle without God. And the thing is, they think they're enlightened. Because a lot of people, especially those who are very intelligent and educated, there was a whole period called the period of enlightenment. And where they got rid of God, they replaced God with science. And it was called the period of enlightenment. And so, they, even though their minds were darkened, they think they're enlightened. And if you hear them, there's a scripture in 2, Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, Ever learning, but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. They're always learning. They got a whole bunch of letters beside their name, but they never come into the truth of the gospel. Why? Because their thinking is futile and their minds are darkened. They have their own philosophies about life, and we hear them all the time on TV. Just turn the TV on. You hear the philosophies about how to live and what life is all about and, and all of that. But all of that is coming out of a darkened mind, a mind that's covered. Uh, Second, Second Corinthians 4 says, the God of this world has blinded them so that they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Because the God of this world, referring to Satan, has blinded them. He's darkened their minds. Now we, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, are sons of light. We are not sons or children of, of darkness. We are sons of light. The Bible says God has called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. So we are not to walk in darkness and our minds are not darkened because we have the light of God's word, the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. So the first characteristic of an ungodly lifestyle is that their mind is darkened. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand the gospel because their minds are darkened. They are excluded from the life of God. They are excluded from the life of God, which means they are alienated and separated from God. They are separated, we read in, I think it's chapter 2, from the commonwealth of Israel. They are separated from the life of God and from God himself. They don't know God. Like they said in 1 Thessalonians, Gentiles who don't know God. So they are just completely excluded from the life of God and separated. They are separated from God himself. People who are not believers, who are not saved, are separated. They don't know who God is, even if they think they do. They don't know who the real God is. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, um, the God of this world has blinded them so that they cannot see the glorious gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated, and this is Paul talking about believers, once you were alienated, that same word, and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. You realize that you were alienated because, uh, from God at one point and hostile in your mind towards God. People who are not saved hate God. Now, they would never say that, but the Bible talks about how they hate God because they don't, they don't obey him. They hate what he teaches, what he has to say about their lifestyle. Um, they are alienated and separated from God. And we were the same way at one point. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The ignorance. This word is willful blindness. It's a want of knowledge or perception. They are willfully blind. Romans chapter 1. 
and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. Now listen to that. He says, they didn't think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. They're like, acknowledging God was a waste of time. They didn't even think it worthwhile. Why are we even considering him? We've been enlightened. Why are we considering God? We thought we were done with that. Science has the answer to everything. But it's willful ignorance. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. Now, in this context, it's talking about homosexuality, but you can, you can broaden that to mean any kind of moral wrong, anything that's morally wrong. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God because of the ignorance. Ignorance, the root word of ignorance is ignore. To ignore something means you could have known it. It's not, it's not because the information is not available to you, but you ignore. If I'm trying to tell you something and you turn your face away from me and do and like, ah, I ain't trying to hear that, you're ignoring me. The information is there. If you just turn around and just listen to me, you get the information. But I'm ignoring you, which makes me ignorant. And so the information about God is there. God's not hiding from anybody. Romans 1 is clear. God's not hiding from anybody. But because of the ignorance, the willful blindness in them, they don't want God. Do you realize people don't really want God? It's not because of a lack of evidence or intelligence or any of that stuff, which they say is the reason they don't believe in God because of science, because um, it's, it's because they don't want God. They don't want to be accountable to anybody, especially God. So it's ignorance, it's willful ignorance in them, willful blindness, not because the information is not there. They didn't think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. I'm not even going to waste my time with that. And because of that, God said, okay, I'm going to deliver you over to a worthless mind. I'm going to say, God says, have it your way. Live the way you want, which is dangerous and scary, <laughs> let me tell you. And he, and he allowed them to do what is morally wrong. And that is the judgment of God, folks. When God says to you, when God adopts the Burger King motto, have it your way, that is not a good thing. Because why? Because he knows that our sin will destroy us. And when God says, go ahead, have your fill of that, the judgment of God sometimes looks like freedom. When God says, okay, go ahead. And we think, okay, I'm free now. I'm free to do what I want. I, could, I, could, I can live how I want. I can sleep with who I want. I can marry who I want. I'm free. But that's the judgment of God. Because it will destroy us. We don't know that or believe that, but God knows that. And so when God does that, that's what Romans 1 says, that's the judgment of God, and that's a scary place. So because of the ignorance, the willful blindness that is in them, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts, the hardness of their hearts. That word hardness means dull spiritual perception. There's a thick skin that covering with a stone is, and it's through a process. It's a thick skin over their heart. It's a dull spiritual perception and this hardness toward the truth of the gospel. So the reason they walk in the futility of their minds because they've been, their minds have been darkened, they're excluded from the life of God, they're ignorant, and, and their hearts are hardened. Let me read something, a commentary on, 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 on uh, these verses. 
the word hardness is the heart that becomes petrified in sin and paralyzed to spiritual truth and completely unresponsive to the things of God. And their heart is hard and they're unresponsive to the things of God. Evolution is a classic case of this. It takes very little intelligence to go out and look at creation and understand that this was no accident. When you look at the world, you can't say, okay, this, something had, had to create all of this. This didn't come out of nowhere. Okay? And the deeper you look into real science, the more this conclusion is solidified. Yet the elite in the educational end of science become more and more dogmatic about evolution being a fact, even though it does not properly qualify as a theory, only a hypothesis. You know, evolution does not prove, they don't have no proof of that. It's a theory, it's a hypothesis. Their ideas become more far-fetched all the time while trying to bully and shut down anyone that disagrees. You try to tell them evolution ain't real, watch what happens. You try to tell them that God created all of this out of nothing, ex nihilo, see what they say to you, see what happens. Especially those who are ever learning but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. Modern psychology is not much different. I have read more than one report that established the fact that people who don't receive quote-unquote professional treatment actually have a higher recovery rate than people who do. The fact remains that whenever you reject God and his commands as the basis for your understanding of the world and how it works, you will come to erroneous conclusions. When you reject God, you will come to crazy conclusions about life, about pretty much anything. Because you're, you're working out of a dark mind now. So all of your conclusions are coming out of a futile, darkened, ignorant, hardened heart mind. The result is people become enslaved to half-truths, lies, and falsehoods. The truth sets a person free, but the truth is not found in vain philosophies of men, but only in the revelation of God. God's blessings come to those who walk in the counsel of the godly, not the ungodly. Psalm chapter 1. You will always receive more wisdom and help from those who know the Bible and have walked with God for many years than someone who has not, regardless of what titles they may have before their name. Now, does it, does it, it's not saying that education is, is not good and even people who are not saved can't help you to some degree. But when that's all you got, that's all you're going with, that's not good. That's not good. The depravity of man without Christ results in callousness that is both moral and spiritual. So you have to be careful who you allow to counsel you, who you allow to counsel you. Um, so, because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart, their heart becomes very, very hard towards the gospel. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. They became callous, which means they became past-feeling. Their heart became past-feeling. They became morally insensitive. They're morally insensitive. Romans chapter 1. Back to Romans again. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things, and all the things he mentions, all the sins, he had a list of sins before this verse, a list of sins that he mentions before this verse. And although that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So because they have callous hearts, they know full well God's just sentence. They understand that. They know that. 
that those who practice all those sins, all those immoralities, deserve to die. He says, they not only do them themselves, but they even applaud others who practice them. Church, we have to be careful that we don't applaud sin. Entertainment can be, uh, we have to be careful what we allow to entertain us. Now, this verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 32, when I first read, that was very convicting to me. The part that says, and they applaud those who practice them. And I'm like, because I can say, you know, I would never do, oh, I would never do that. I'm, I'm saved. I can't do that. I don't do that. But I don't mind going and paying to watch a movie and to see somebody else do it. I'm not participating, but I'm, in a sense, applauding. That performance was awesome. That's convicting to me. So all in the name of, oh, it's just entertainment. Oh, it's just music. Oh, it's just the TV. It's just the movie. But musical porn is a real thing. That's a real thing. So I would never watch that, but I listen to them explain what they do in the name of art and entertainment. You see what I'm saying? we got to be careful, church, that we don't allow ourselves to be entertained and applaud those who practice such things. Because we are not to walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Our minds aren't darkened. I know what he's talking about. But all because it's just entertainment, and I really, I know that's sin, and I would never condone that. But I'm being entertained by it. They became callous. We don't want to become callous and morally insensitive as believers. We become numb to evil and sin. And this is from the pulpit to the door, as old folks used to say. It starts up here. They became callous and gave themselves over. See, it says here that they gave themselves over. In Romans 1, it says God gave them over. But here it says they gave themselves over to promiscuity. Promiscuity. It means excess, absence of restraint, indecency, and wantonness is what he's talking about. They gave themselves over to this excess. Galatians chapter 5. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. He said that's a work of the flesh. And he says they give themselves over to that because their minds are darkened. We can't give ourselves over to promiscuity, excess, absence of restraint, just unrestrained behavior, any kind. And we see that in our culture today. Promiscuity is everywhere. Unrestrained behavior, just do whatever makes you feel good. But the Bible says that's a work of the flesh. Promiscuity. Impurity. Back to, uh, they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity, he says. He says every kind of impurity, which is unclean, moral, moral uncleanness is what impurity is. Moral uncleanness is what impurity is. And he says they gave themselves over to every kind of that. You name it, they've, gave them, they've given themselves over to it. Moral uncleanness. Uh, Second Peter, I want to read something in Second Peter. 
It's not on my list, but I want to read this. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, and he's talking about false teachers. Peter's talking about here in Second Peter chapter 2, the judgment of false teachers is what he's talking about. And he says, many will follow their unrestrained ways. Another translation says their sexual, their sensuality, it says, their sensuality or their unrestrained ways. He says, many will follow their unrestrained ways, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And he's talking about false teachers. Evil doctrine, false doctrine, and sensuality are often associated. False teaching, evil doctrine is a lot of times is associated. Um, We see it with, 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 with cult leaders. Whether it, was, whether it was Jim Jones or David Koresh, we found out that they were being sexually immoral. They were having sex with the members. And even in the Old Testament, and I believe uh, in the worship of Baal and Astaroth, it involved sex. They were worshiping this false god, this idol of Baal and Astaroth, and, and part of the worship was they had sex in front of the idols. And one of the symbols of Baal and Astaroth was a sexual organ. See, evil doctrine and sexuality, immoral sexuality, often are associated. Sexual purity and good doctrine are associated. When you get good teaching, good doctrine, it will teach you how to be sexually pure and obey God in the area of your sexuality. But evil doctrine and sensuality are often associated. So they gave themselves over to, to moral, moral uncleanness and purity, to practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. They can't, they can't get enough of it. It's just with a desire for more and more. Give me more of that. Give me more of that, 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 that foul stuff on television. Give me more of that sexual morality. Let me see more of that in movies. Let me see more of that on TV. Give me more of that with a desire for more and more, because your flesh never gets enough of sin. Never, ever gets enough of it. It will die first before it says stop. Your flesh will die before it says stop. I don't want any more sin. Verse 20. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. He says, but that's not how you learned about the Messiah. All these other verses, you didn't learn about Christ like that way. He said, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. And see, he says, first of all, you learned, you heard, and you were taught. Okay, those are figurative descriptions of salvation. You, you learned about, the, about Jesus, you heard about him, and you're taught about him. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that are burdened laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So we hear about him, we learn about him, and then we're taught by him. See, the scripture is the teachings of Christ, so we need to be taught by him. You know, Jesus, uh, he was called rabbi, which means teacher, and that's what he did. He taught and so we, as, as followers uh, of him, are, are his disciples, so we are to be taught by him. Learn, hear, and allow ourselves to be, to be taught by him. We live different lifestyles, which is evident of our salvation. So because we've, we've learned and heard and are being taught, we live a different lifestyle than people who don't know God. And once we have, once our lifestyle has changed, we become sanctified and begin to live holy lives, that's evidence of our salvation. So if, if, you, if your life hasn't changed 
since, since uh, giving your life to Christ, check yourself. If there, has, if there isn't a change, I'm not talking about perfection. It's a process, okay? It's called sanctification, and it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a lifetime. You're going to do that for the rest of your life. But evidence that I've been changed is that my lifestyle has changed. And people ought to be able to see that. People who knew you before you got saved ought to be able to say, hmm, what's different? He's changed. He's not the same. She's not the same. Their lifestyle is different. And, and, and the Bible talks about, and First Peter says, um, that, um, they, they will uh, make fun of you because you don't go to them in the, in the same flood of dissipation, it says in the King James. <laughs> in other words, you don't go to the same places that you used to with them. You don't, you, don't, you, you, you don't live the same way. You don't do the same things that they do. And they look at you and say, what's wrong? And they laugh at you because they can't understand. Why, why would you not want to do that anymore? That was so much fun. You used to love that. What's wrong? Well, it, it, I've been changed. I, I've had a different, my mind is not darkened anymore. I'm not living in futility anymore. I'm not living in vain emptiness. That stuff was just vain, empty. Going, doing that stuff was just empty. What was it leading to? The Bible says in, in Romans, it says, you ought to be ashamed of us, that stuff you used to do. You ought to be ashamed of it, he says. Um, and so people ought to say, what is different about you? What is different? So we learn about him, we hear about him, and we're taught by him. And then he says, assuming you heard about him and we're taught by him, because the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. This is one of those verses that's very controversial and very um, uh, narrow. <laughs> because it says the truth is in Jesus. Not some of the truth is in Jesus. Not Jesus has some truth. It says the truth is in Jesus. What do you mean by the truth? The Bible always speaks of truth in singular. It always says the truth. Um, study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, John says, I, I'm, I rejoice in that my children walk in truth. Truth is always singular in Scripture. Um, in the last days, men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of demons. They will depart from the faith. Notice he didn't say they will part, depart from faith. He said they will depart from the faith. What is the faith? The faith is once for all delivered to the saints, which is the truth of the gospel. See, um, men will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines, plural, of demons. See, there's one body of truth in Scripture, but there are doctrines of demons. God has one body of truth to save you. It's called the Bible. One body of truth wrapped up in a person, Jesus Christ. But the devil has many doctrines that will lead you to hell. He don't have just one way to get you there. He got a whole bunch of ways to get you there. But God has one way to save you. The truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, boy, or girl comes to the Father except by me. Who says that? What makes different Jesus different than every other quote-unquote religious figure? See, everybody else pointed to something else as the answer, whether it was Buddha or Muhammad or we'll, we'll point to the Quran, or everybody else pointed to something else as the answer. Jesus says, I am. Jesus didn't point outside of himself for, for the answer. He's the only one that says, listen to me. He's the only one that says, I am. He never says, he said, listen, Martha, Mary Martha, 
Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. Oh, yeah, we know, Lord, that he will rise again in the last day of the judgment. Jesus said, no, 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 Martha, no, 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 no. Listen, I am the resurrection. He said, come here, come, follow me. Come here, come here, come here, Martha. He took him to, the, to, to Lazarus's tomb. Come here, follow me. Listen. And stood in front of the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And all preachers used to say, the reason he had to say Lazarus is because if he had just said, come forth, every dead person would have got up off the grave. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus do? And see, he was wrapped. He was, he, he was mummified. He was wrapped, and probably his body was like this. So he couldn't walk normally, so he probably had to out the grave like this because he was wrapped. He, now, unless he was miraculously unwrapped, I don't know. But the point is, he stood in front of the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth, and he had to come forth. Why? Because of who he is. Jesus had, he never pointed to anything outside of himself. He said, Lord, we know you have the answer. No, I am the answer. I don't point to nothing else other than me. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, who, you can't say that unless you are the divine son of God. Buddha couldn't say that, and if he did, he'd be lying. Muhammad couldn't say that, and if he did, he'd be lying. But Jesus, the second person of the triune God here, the son of the living God, can say, son, your, son, your sins are forgiven thee. Who is this man? Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. The stuff Jesus said. Recognize who we serve, eternal city. Who our Savior is. The stuff he said and did. Testify, and they knew it. That's why they picked up stones. To, and Jesus said, why you put, for what sin, what, for what deed are you trying to stone me for? Not, I'm not, we're not trying to stone you for any deeds. We're trying to stone you because you being a mere, a mere man make yourself God. That's why we're stoning you. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 I never said that. He never did that. He never denied their statement. And so that's why you can say the truth is in Jesus because of who he is. Because of who he is. You can walk on water and say, peace be still. Only God can do that. No other religious figure has ever done anything to stuff that Jesus did. That's why they have to get rid of miracles. People who are skeptics, they have to get rid of stuff like that. And say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, he did. They have to get rid of that. Because if that's true, then he is who he said he is, and I need to bow to him. And they will. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every atheist knee is going to bow. Every agnostic knee is going to bow. Farrakhan's knee is going to bow. Buddha's knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow. So you either bow now willingly or bow later by force. But you will bow. Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. God, I could stay here for the rest of the night, but I got to move. Okay. Ah, that was good. Okay. (laughs) The truth is in Jesus, church. The truth is in Jesus. He is the most controversial figure in the history of the world. To this day, he's the most controversial figure in the history of the world. Why is that? 
Why is that? He is despised. Confusion is, 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 I heard somebody say recently that confusion is the new thing. If you're confused, that's almost like a good thing. But if you're sure about something, that's considered arrogant and prideful. But if you're confused in your sexuality, oh, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. But if you know, wait a minute. Assurance is seen as arrogance. When I say that Jesus is the way that you, that's arrogant. But I didn't say it, he said. Who would have the mitigated audacity to stand and say something like that? What? How could he say that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. What? But if he raises from the dead, and Muhammad's still dead, Buddha's still dead, but Jesus' tomb is empty to this day, okay, wait, what's up with that? He said, destroy this body and I will raise it up again. And he did that. So what does that mean? The truth is in Jesus. Okay, verse 22. You took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You took off your former way of life. That word take, took off means you stripped away. It's taking off, like taking off filthy clothes. It means repentance and turning away from old ways and turning towards God. Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off, there it is again, the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off, you stripped yourself of your old lifestyle, your old ways. That old man is the unregenerate self, and it's worn out and useless. So when he says old man, he's referring to your old unregenerate self before you got saved. That's what he's talking about. He says, you have put off that self along with its practices, along with the stuff you did as the old person. You stopped thought, you put all of that off. And he says, you are being renewed. Notice that. He didn't say you are renewed. He said you are being renewed. It's a lifestyle. It's a continual process. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. But you put off that old man. The old man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, Uh, back to, uh, you took off former way of life, the old self that is corrupted, corrupted, corrupted. It means morally decaying and on the way to final ruin. See, our old self, our old man was morally decaying and on its way to final ruin, final destruction. But we put that old man off. Corrupted by deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. That word deceitful means that which gives a false impression by appearance, by statement, or by influence. Deceitful, that which gives a false impression by appearance, by statement, or influence. So sin is very deceiving, church. We're going to look at that in a minute. Lust that is excited by deceit. The deceit is the source of its strength. You hear that? The deceit of the sin is what strengthens the sin. And your flesh loves that deceit. Hebrews chapter 3. For we know, I'm sorry, watch out brothers, 
so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Another translation says, by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, watch out so that you won't be, there won't be in any, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelief is a sin that departs from the living God. But encourage each other daily, every day, while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Sin is very deceptive. It promises what it can never deliver. It's deceiving. It makes you think this is going to be good for you. Sin, the consequences of sin either come immediately, time-released, or delayed. Sometimes the consequences of sins are immediate, like, like um, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 4. Immediate sin. They just drop dead. Immediate sin. It's immediate. It comes right away. Bam. Sometimes it's delayed, like with David. When he sinned with Bathsheba, God says, the sword shall never depart from your house. It's delayed. Um, it, 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 uh, it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes sin is, is time-released over a period of time. It's like a 12-hour capsule. You take a 12-hour capsule, it's working in your body for 12 hours. You know, sometimes uh, the consequences of sin are, are time-released. You pay, may pay for this for the next three years. And then after three years, it's up. But it's time-released. Sometimes it's immediate, like Ananias and Sapphira. Sometimes it's time-released, like David. It was over a period of time. And sometimes it's delayed. It doesn't happen right away. And that's the the scariest one to me, the one that's delayed. Because it may not, the consequences may not come for five years. And because it's such a disconnect, you don't make the connection. Why is this happening to me? What happened? Well, it's a consequence of what happened five years ago. But because it was delayed, you don't make the connection. So that's a scary one to me because you think you got away with it. Oh, right, that was been three years and nothing happened. Sometimes your, your kids may be affected by it. So the consequences come immediate, time release, or delayed. And see, you've got to be careful. It's, it's scary. It can be very scary. Because you can get involved in something and, 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 and intend to get out. You can say, I, I, okay, I'm going to do this for a little bit. I'm going to sell drugs for a little bit. I just need to make a little bit of money. Let me just do this for six months. I just need some money. And so you go out there and you start, and next thing you know, you're caught up in the game. It's been a year. It's been a year and a half. It was only supposed to be for six months, but see, you got caught up. See, sin will always take you further than you're willing to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you longer than you're willing to stay. It will always take you further. I didn't plan on going this far. I didn't plan on doing this. I, didn't plan on, I thought I was going to be out of this by now. It will take you further than you're willing to go. I was never willing to go this far. It will take you longer than you're willing to stay. It was only supposed to be for six months. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. It will cost you your marriage. It will cost you your job. It will cost you your kids' respect. Sin is dangerous. Don't play with it. It's deceitful. It will fool you. Oh, you can do this for a while. You'll be good. You can get out. Don't be fooled by the deceitfulness of sin. All right. Uh, 
Verse 23. You are being renewed, being again renewed in the spirit of your minds. Renewed means the mind is directed towards God under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit in enjoyment of fellowship with the Father and the Son and in fulfillment of God's will. Let me read that again. Being renewed means the mind is directed towards God under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit in enjoyment of fellowship with the Father and the Son and in fulfillment of God's will. Romans chapter 12, very familiar scripture. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind means the purpose or aim of your mind. That's what he's talking about. So our mind is being renewed according to the will of God. And it's a process. It's called sanctification. You have, and your mind gets renewed through Scripture, primarily. Your mind gets renewed through Scripture. You have to study Scripture in order to get your thought changes, to change the way you think. The Bible is, is, the, is the thought changer in our lives as believers. This is how I change the way I think. Because, see, this is how I get out of the darkness, my mind not being darkened, and into the light. It's through Scripture. I have to, I have to uh, flood my mind with Scripture. Flood my mind with Scripture. That's what we do as believers, so that the spirit and purpose of my aim is being renewed, so that I know what God's will is. See, the only way I know what God's will is, is, is i got to look at what he said. And what he says in Scripture, what does God say about this? What does God say about this? What does God say about this? Well, I need to go to the Scriptures to find that out so that I can get my mind on that track. Okay, I used to think like this before I got saved. My mind was dark, and okay, I used to think that this is the way you did that. Okay, all right, God, that's not right. Okay, all right, your word says this. Okay, it's a, it's a lifetime thing. It's a continual process. It's called sanctification, and it's done through the knowledge of Scripture. Verse 24. And you put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in the righteousness and purity of the truth. He said, you put on the new self, the new man. And the new is new as to form or quality. It's of a different nature. Okay, this newness is not the old man made over. Understand that. We're not talking about your old man being made over. He said, this is a whole new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. They died. And all things are new. So this is a new man. This is somebody nobody ain't never seen before. That's why people will say, do you have to get saved? You're different. What's wrong? What's diff-? Because you're new. You're a new man. You're a new creation. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the church, uh, uh, um, the unity of the church and God creating the new man with Jew and Gentile. That new man, same thing here. See, the church is a new man collectively, but you're also a new man individually. And the new man individually make up the collective new man called the church. So the church is primarily, I'll say, let me be careful how I say this. The church is made up of a bunch of new men and women. Now, everybody in the church is not new yet. 
There are a lot of people who come to church who ain't new. See, there's a difference between the congregation of the people and the body of Christ. See, you can have the congregation of the people, but out in the congregation of the people, everybody's not a part of the body of Christ. Now, they ought to be hearing the gospel, which will bring them and draw them into, but the congregation of the people is made up of everything. Jesus talks about the net going out and drawing in some of everything. So out in the congregation of the people, you got some of everybody. But in the midst of all of that, amongst that is the new man, the body of Christ. That makes sense? Y'all get me? Okay. So make sure you ain't just part of the congregation of the people. Make sure I'm part of the new man, the body of Christ. So this new man is a new form, a new quality. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If any man be in Christ, it's not a new man made over. That's good. That's good. I don't want my old man made over. I want to be a whole new creature. I need to be a whole new being. <laughs> because our old guy was corrupted and on his way to destruction. So God has to make me new. This is a whole new thing. 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption, there it is again, that is in the world because of evil desires. So he says, uh, we share in the divine nature of God. What does that mean? We become little gods? No. It means because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, I can become like God morally, uh, reason. I can become like God. The more I'm being partaker of the divine nature through the Holy Spirit, which allows me and teaches me how to live like God. That's a powerful verse to me. I may share in the divine nature of God. Escaping the corruption that is in the world, I'm escaping that. Because of evil desires. That's why the world is being is corrupt because of evil, evil desires of people. That's why it's corrupted. But we as believers, we share in the divine nature and we escape that corruption. Verse 24, back to verse 24. You put off the new, you put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in a righteousness and purity of the truth. Righteousness and purity of the truth. That righteousness is talking about our responsibility to mankind. And that's the second half of, of, of the Ten Commandments. The second half of the Ten Commandments talk about how we treat each other, how I'm supposed to treat you as a fellow man. Okay? So that's what he's talking about when he says righteousness. And he talks about purity. It's talking about my right relationship with God, which is the first half of the Ten Commandments. The first half talks about my relationship with God. The second half talks about my relationship with you. So, so basically, he's saying uh, this new man is to reflect the character of God through right relationship with him, first and foremost, and then right relationship. See, I can't treat you right unless I'm in right relationship with God for the most part. So once I get in right relationship with God vertically, then he teaches me how to treat you, and that makes me righteous. See, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous positionally because of Christ then I can need to become righteous in my actions towards you because I can act very unrighteous towards you, treating you unrighteously as a believer even. I can do that. But because I'm, I'm, I'm this, new, this new man, this new creation, and I'm partaker of the divine nature, that ought to inspire and encourage me 
to be righteous in my relationship with you. So we are to reflect the character of God. And like I said, this is for believers. So I don't walk in the futility of my mind anymore. My mind is not darkened. I've come out of the darkness. I'm not ignorant. And my heart is not hard, which will cause me to, which will cause all the stuff that we just talked about. So as we, take, as we partake of communion tonight, we need to realize, okay, God, you're calling me to this, to sanctification. But what we can praise God for and thank God for tonight is Jesus lived a perfect righteous life in my place. And that's why God can call me righteous. Not because I'm righteous practically. A whole lot of times, if not most, I'm not. And neither are you. But Jesus was righteous, perfectly righteous, always in my place. So therefore, God looks at me and says, righteous. There's the, 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 they call it the imputation. That's the theological word. God transfers Christ's righteousness to me once I repent and receive him as Savior and Lord. So when we take communion tonight, we can thank God and say, okay, Lord, that's a high calling. You, you're calling me to walk in this vocation as this new man, this new righteous man, this new righteous woman. And God, I want to do that. And help me to do that. And I know I won't do it perfectly, but I thank you that Jesus has already done it perfectly for me. And I want that. God, I never get tired of hearing that. That I don't have to try. See, with a lot of people who are, you cannot earn God's favor, church. We can't do it. And see, people who are not saved think that I can, do, I can, I can earn God's uh, salvation in heaven by doing good deeds. And Jesus said, no, no, you can't. He said, he told, he, told, he told the most righteous, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds those of the Pharisees, you too will perish. And the Pharisees were, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, righteous, quote, unquote. Now, we know that they weren't, but, um, but they thought they were. <laughs> so we don't have to uh, work to please God. We can't work to please God. Jesus did all the work for me. So I'm, therefore, I'm pleasing in God's sight. And therefore, I can partake of this because of the transfer of righteousness of Christ to my life. Now, that doesn't excuse me for not living a righteous and holy life. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't excuse me. We are always striving. We are being renewed. Remember that? We are being renewed. Okay, as I'm being renewed, I become more... The closer you get to God, the more righteous you ought to be. Now, when we get in His presence eternally, we will be perfectly righteous. We're not there yet. But in this life, I'm working towards that. I'm being renewed in my mind through the study of Scripture, through fellowship, through prayer. I'm being renewed, and I'm being transformed. And the, and the, and the closer I get to death, the more I ought, to, I ought to be like Jesus. I ought to be like Jesus more this year than I was last year because I'm being renewed. And, that's, and, that, and that requires discipline, commitment, and work. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to do that. 